Considering Neuroscience in Biblical Counseling on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. And today, once again, I'm delighted to have with us Dr. Jen Chin. And Jen has her doctorate degree in clinical psychology. She also has a master's in marriage and family therapy as well. She practiced actually in the inner city of LA for 17 years and also has an MABC from the master's university. And she now teaches there as an adjunct professor in their online program. And she counsels at her church, Lighthouse Church, and she's an ACBC certified member. And I have really enjoyed the short time that I've gotten to know Jin Chin over the last several years. And just the the kindness and grace and humility that she brings to the table, particularly in thinking about these difficult subjects as it relates to psychology and, and the practice of different psychotherapies and, and psychologies that I think are just really, really helpful and full of grace, but also wise according to scripture. And just to hear her heart and love for the things of, of God and the and the scriptures has, has been just a true blessing to me. And I can't wait to introduce you to to her and and thinking in this topic on neuroscience. And this is, honestly, this is a confusing, difficult topic for so many people. And it is quite all the rage in in much of science. Most psychotherapies, if they could have the backing or the blessing of neuroscience, then it comes across certainly as much more valid in the minds and hearts of people. And so this is a subject that, that we in biblical counseling are going to encounter in a lot of different ways. And we certainly don't ever want to dismiss that which is seen as legitimate, good, healthy science. But we also want to be wise and cautious as to those things which which are not and shouldn't be categorized as such. And, and Jen has been really helpful. I'll tell you, we, we've recently been together, a group of leaders in the biblical counseling movement at our ACBC colloquium, and she presented a paper on neuroscience research and the noetic effects of the fall that we see in some of the, the research that happens. And so we're going to talk through some of that today. So the, the first thing I want to do that that I think will be helpful, Jen, is just revisit some of those ideas of the noetic effects of the fall. We, we've talked about it in a previous podcast as it relates to psychology a little bit more broadly. But then let's talk about those effects as we see maybe particularly in some of the, the neuroscience research. The thing about neuroscience is it's in such an infancy stage, and it is exciting. Science has created these machines that can show our blood flow, that can show structure, and it's a pretty amazing that they could do something like that. And yet at the same time, it is in its infancy, and research is young, and yet at the same time, it because it is so exciting, research can get hyped up. As I talked about last time, science takes time. It takes also acknowledging difficulties or or failures to prove a hypothesis. And so it's that type of work is, is very slow, especially when we consider how many variables might go into something. And I was actually shocked as I researched for this paper that the statistic numbers were actually lower for neuroscience than they were for psychology, which yeah. aren't great in themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. And, and for many of us, this will be an introduction as we think about neuroscience. And I don't know about anybody else. I, this is an area I, I wish I 
knew more about and that I am super intrigued by. And, and I've been reading, I enjoy reading, you know, about some of the findings of neuroscience and the, the way that they're, they're pursuing discovery uh, of aspects of the brain and the functions of it and so on. And it, it is super intriguing. And it's an area that I, I really enjoy reading in and paying attention to, although still consider myself quite a novice in that area. And it's important for us to understand that when we talk about neuroscience and, and what's happening there, one of the dangers I think that we have to be cautious of is, is its explanatory ability. Sometimes we, we have to be cautious about its interpretation of certain things. But before we get into some of the, the critiques of neuroscience, what are some of those positive? What are, what are some of the things that we see that, yes, it's a young science, but some of the things that we see that could be helpful in pursuing maybe this avenue of, of understanding this fascinating an amazing aspect of our body that God has created us with that we call the brain. Well, some of the current applications are that they can do pre-surgical planning for neurosurgeons so that they don't damage or they can minimally damage other areas so that when they're removing a tumor, blood clot, epileptic tissue, that they don't damage other areas of the brain. They're also able to a certain stroke damage. They can follow the course of Alzheimer's and epilepsy. They can determine brain maturity. And they're actually hoping that it will help them improve treatment of comatose individuals by allowing the physicians to measure levels of consciousness. Also, I wouldn't totally be against somebody having neuropsych testing. And what I would use it for is to understand someone's cognitive strengths and weaknesses. Uh, sorry, on a layman's terms, what are their strengths? Is it more auditory memory versus visual memory? How, are, how much are they able to pay attention? Uh, something that we call executive functioning. Mm -hmm. And again, knowing that that could vary in a person day to day, things like anxiety, education level, these are all things. But if I know someone's strengths and weaknesses, then that might determine how I give them homework, how I speak to them while I'm in the session. Uh -huh. Wow. Those sound like some amazing discoveries. And I think we should all be anxiously pulling for this as a, a legitimate biological science that, that's trying to understand a little bit more about who we are and, and some of the detriments that we, we have as human beings in the cursed world. And, you know, we pray that neuroscience can at some point be, be very helpful to us as human beings. That, that really becomes a shadow of sustaining life, right? Because ultimately that science or no other science is going to give us life forever. That, that only is found in, in Christ. And so we, we have to you know, hold these, these truths, these discoveries, certainly in those open hands, but with excitement. I think those things are exciting for us to consider. Now, I, I do think, especially as it's a young science and some of the broad applications that we see, sometimes people conflate the findings of neuroscience and they want to use it in, in such a way to validate their own, their own ideas. What are some of the cautions? And you gave a lot of these in the paper, which we're going to release in publication at our conference. People can read. But you gave a lot of these cautions in your paper uh, about the field of neuroscience. So help us understand some of those. I think one of the important things to understand is that they're just like the psychologies. There is no overarching theory. 
that there are so many different ways to study it and there's arguments about how to study it and even what questions they should be asking. Another issue is the idea of neuroimaging and what that can actually do. Before doing this paper, I didn't understand how it actually worked and learned that fMRIs, which are most frequently used these days, that it doesn't even see brain activity directly, that there is a change in blood flow, but that doesn't occur simultaneously with the brain activity because what the imaging is doing is actually measuring brain flow versus some sort of magic picture of this is, you know, what's going on in your brain. Thirdly, that it actually produces fuzzy pictures of the brain. And what the researchers have to do is do what's called signal processing and make choices about data points. And because of that, there is a lot of bias in the research, which ends up making it more unreliable. Another issue is just the sheer expense that I, from what I understand, it can be over $1,000 to do each neuroimaging. And in science, the greater the sample number, the more robust your results are. And, and so the numbers are very small sometimes in these studies because of the cost of it. And another issue I was looking at is that they tend to use a lot of animal research. And what an article I just read the other day, it was talking about, and then they use male animals with this assumption that because of females, there's more hormones. And so that would make more variability. Mm -hmm. And just back to even with psychology, there's so much variability between each individual person. Other issues include the actual technology. They actually found that because of the statistics they were using, that up to 10% of studies have been compromised. Mm. And then finally, I was also looking at another study that you can have a person do the same thing a week later, a month later, and the brain scans will not be consistent. Yeah, those are interesting. And, and here's the thing. I want to make sure that people understand this. When we critique or caution this field of neuroscience, it's not to dismiss it out of hand. As you mentioned earlier, it's a young science, and we can still be ambitious and excited about what that progress may hold in helping us to understand things that we've never understood before. But we, I think we do have to assess it in the place that it is right now. And that's exactly what you're trying to do to say, you know what, there, there are ways that we're learning to use the machine or, or machines that can accomplish studying things in a more clear way. One of the points that I think is, is really important to make is when I think about neuroscience, sometimes we have to be cautious. It can give us a snapshot, but that's a chicken or the egg question, right? It's, is the biology of the brain creating this emotion or this behavioral response, or, or it's certainly contributing, but is it is it creating that? Or is is it my inner man, the way that I interpret things that seems to indicate be indicated by what the scripture says, that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks? That's the typical flow of things. And it, it raises the question. And so when you think about neuroscience, when they're looking at snapshots, there's a lot of interpretation that's going on when they're looking at uh, an fMRI, as you mentioned, some of the activity in different places and the flow of the blood and the the, the way that they rate the, the oxygen levels and the activities in parts of the brain and that sort of thing. So talk just a little bit about the way that neuroscience interprets what they're seeing on the images from the research. Well, let me let me go ahead and read the quote 
fMRI requires a lot of signal processing, which means that researchers must make choices about which data points are important and which are noise. Such decisions inherently introduce bias into the research. The researcher's processing smudges the images, making interpretation considerably more difficult and unreliable. So when we see these little colors on these brain scans, first of all, they've decided this is what's important, and then they've added this color and decided what color and why this should be bright and why this should be not. Mm -hmm. So those are all interpretations. That's not an actual picture of the brain. That is a picture of the brain with them adding the colors and what they deemed as important versus what they deemed as noise and unimportant. Yeah, I think that's insightful and and very, very helpful. And the last thing I want to do is is to squelch our ambition here. So, Jen, what I'd love for you to do is, is there are many cautions, and I don't think we should close our eyes to those things. But how should we think just broadly about neuroscience? When we see things that have this label or this tag, help us as biblical counselors to how do we approach reading that type of research with a with a helpful eye that doesn't just dismiss it out of hand, but but has a discerning heart when we approach it. One of the first things I'm going to think about is this was one study. And so if I see something splashed in the news, my first thought is, okay, that was one study. I wonder who did it. I wonder how many samples. Uh-huh. So in the essay, I provided three different resources to help you assess research. I'm definitely not saying don't look at research, just ignore what you see. And if you are going to look at some of these, really consider how to actually assess them. And in my paper, I listed three sources, and one of them is from a book called Science Fictions by Stuart Ritchie. In his appendix, he does a wonderful job of, and he calls it Top 10 List of Questions to Assess Research. There's another article that you can just Google called Why Most Published Research Findings Are False, And in it, John Iandis gives some corollaries that can help you assess. And if you want to just jump on the internet, there's a article by Mark Zimmer, and he calls it Six Tips to Help You Detect Fake Science News. Jen, that's really helpful. And I always love doing this podcast because I get to talk to people who are way smarter than I am, and I love I don't know about that uh, he, one. <laughs> I love hearing input from just so many different areas. What what a what an intriguing thing that we're learning about even today on the podcast and and we hear about this amazing thing of of neuroscience, but to be wise and cautious about it. Now, Jen did mention several resources. And so I want to make sure that we put those in the show notes so that you can check those out. They are I think very helpful ideas and some questions that, that give you a lens from which to see some of the research. So I want to I want to recommend those things to you. Jen, thank you so much for taking time to, to give us some insight, really a, a scratch of the surface of an introduction to neuroscience. But it's an important topic and it's, it's invading lots of different spaces that we encounter in biblical counseling. So thank you for your time. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. I want to remind you about our ACBC essays that will be released. The paper that Jen mentioned today on the podcast will actually be a part of that collection of essays, and it will be released at our conference this year, October 4th through the 6th. 
And I am super delighted about that release and you guys being able to uh, hear some of the information that we heard during our ACBC colloquium earlier in the year. And one other thing that I want to mention is, is we've compiled together a, a bibliography, if this is an area of interest to you, not just neuroscience, but critical psychiatry and, and looking at some of the ideas that the world offers and what secularists are actually saying about their own research right now. There's a lot of caution coming from secularists right now in their own research, looking back at history. And I think it's important for us to be aware of that. Sometimes the, the, the knowledge of the quote-unquote science in psychiatry hinders pastors and lay people from engaging some of those human experiences. And I, I would love for you to encounter some of that that work. We've put together a bibliography that I think is a good introduction and, and very, very helpful. And you can find that on our website, biblicalcounseling.com. <music> 